Welcome, and thank you for listening to the podcast of North Etowah Baptist Church. Visit us online at northetowah.org. Rather than church being a place where people far from God are met with shame, guilt, and condemnation, we believe Jesus leads us to be a family that extends His grace, mercy, and forgiveness to everyone. We hope you enjoyed today's service. Uh, Take your Bible, if you would, to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll look at verse number 15. You know, as I was talking to the children, the Bible has been a source of life, a source of comfort, a source of inspiration for more than 2,500 years now. It will be even longer if you go back to the very first book that was written. But friends, it has been around a long time. And this Bible, this book that you're holding in your hands is so filled with uh, inspiration and, and, and love and life and comfort. I want us today to get to know this book a little better. No Christian can be happy and effective without a working knowledge of this book. So I want us to get to know this book a little bit better. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15, it says, God's word says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. If you look at this scripture, I look up there at it, you've got it, you're holding it in your hands. Why does God say we need to study the Bible? Somebody tell me, why does God say that we need to study the Bible? Because it's important. You're exactly right. What's this scripture say? Boy, that was a good answer. What does the scripture say right here that you're holding in your hand? To be a what kind of worker? An approved worker. We need to study this word to be an approved worker, to be approved of God, to be approved of God. Also, look, it says, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. I don't like being ashamed, do you? So I don't want to be ashamed, so I want to be approved of God. I don't want to be ashamed of anything. And then thirdly, I want to rightly handle the word of truth. This morning, let's get to know this book a little bit better. Let's get to know this Bible, God's holy word, the B-I-B-L-E. Thank you, Anita. We're getting ready to roll. (laughs) You know how to sing that song, Anita? You know how to sing that song? The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Bible. Man, did you see them back there? They're holding it up. I'm going to do it again. At the end, at the end, we're all going to go Bible, okay? Let's sing together. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E Bible. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful to look out across congregation, see everybody with the, the Bible holding it up. Amen. Thank you for that assistance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us have a good time in your house. And God, thank you for this word. Thank you for your holy word. You're inerrant, inspired, perfect, 
word. Thank you for the Bible. And I pray today we get to know it just a little bit better. And Lord, I know some of us have known it for a long time. But some of us hadn't, hadn't known it good enough. We don't study it enough, and we've not, we've not revered it enough. And I pray today we get to know your word just a little bit better. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to take you on a little tour. Today, you can take notes if you'd like to. The first thing I want us to consider is the history of the Bible, the history of the Bible. This book, now listen, this is going to be some interesting stuff. Some of you might not have ever heard this. The Bible was written in different lands over a period of about 1,500 years. It, over 1,500 years, they were writing. And so it started, and then 1,500 years later, they got the last book. It comes from writers from all walks of life, ladies and gentlemen. They had many different occupations. You had tax collectors and tent makers. You even had a doctor in there. You had shepherds and farmers and fishermen. Oh, you can just keep naming. There's many occupations. They came from all different walks of life. Most of the human authors that were inspired to write, most of them never laid eyes on each other. They never met each other. That was the day before cell phones. And you know, I forgot to do this a while ago with the kids. If you take your cell phone, you can go to the Bible app. You can pull up this very scripture and then look at any translation you want to. That's what I, I forgot to do that with them earlier, with all the different Bibles. Some of you may be even using that way of looking at God's word today. Friends, God's word is, is, is wonderful and awesome. But listen, all of those authors never saw each other. Most of them never saw each other. But it's almost as if This book was written by one author. The close-fitting unity of this book makes it seem like there was one author. And guess what? That is the case, Joyce. You're right. This book was inspired by one author. 2 Peter 1.20 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men, listen, this is where it is, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So who, friends, is the author of the Bible? God, through the Holy Spirit, exactly. God is the author. That, that's where we're getting into learning about this book. God is the author. Now, I looked up some good statistics, but it's frightening statistics. And it's oh me statistics. But it's also amen statistics. I got this from Wycliffe Bible Translators or Wycliffe Global Alliance. And what they do, they work with a lot of different organizations translating the Bible. We have the Jesus film that's been translated, I think, into 1,500 translations. you got this Bible app that's got over 1,000 translations, is my understanding, or parts of. But listen to what Wycliffe says. 
right now as of October the 1st, 2017. That's the last I could find. So it's just six months back or so. Maybe a little bit longer. There are 7,099 living languages. That's about 7,100 living languages in the world. 670 of them have a complete Bible translation. Only 670. 1,521 have the complete New Testament translated for them. 1,121 have at least one story or one scripture selection or one book translated for them. You add all of that together, that's a total of 3,312 languages that have at least some scripture translated for them. But the oh me part for me was there's still 3,787 languages that have not been translated. We have got to keep working to spread and to tell the good news of this book that comes through reading God's inerrant, inspired, and holy word. And as I told the kids, more than 100 million copies of the Bible are printed each year. Still the bestseller of all time. Bestseller every year. That's the history of the Bible. What's the theme? What's the theme of this book that we are holding in our hands? From the beginning, which is, what's the first book? Genesis. From the beginning, which is Genesis, all the way to the end, which is the last book, what is it? Revelation. Man, we didn't know we were doing Bible drills, did you? From the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation, what do you think the main theme is? The main theme of this book from all the way from the beginning all the way to the end is the redemption of mankind. How do we know that the theme of this book is the redemption? Why do we know? How do we know that the redemption is the main theme? Well, think about this. The Old Testament is largely the Old Testament back here. We're going to talk about this in a minute. But the Old Testament's the first section, the first part of the book. The Old Testament is largely the history of the Hebrew Jewish race, nation. And it's largely the history, but then you come to the New Testament and the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The, New, the Old Testament is talking about how the Redeemer is coming. The Redeemer will be born. Then you get to the New Testament and the Redeemer is born. It's all about redemption and the Redeemer. If you look to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, Jonathan, pop that up there. Matthew 1, 1. This is the first verse of the New Testament. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That is linking together the Old and New Testaments. They are looking back and you're seeing that it's talking about the son of Abraham. One of the greatest known uh, people in the Old Testament. The son of David, one of the better known and who, the one who wrote most of the Psalms. Is, it's linking together genealogy of Jesus Christ, linking the old and the new together. The link is Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. What is a Redeemer? Friend, I'm glad you asked. The Redeemer is the one who paid 
for my sins and yours on the cross of Calvary. That's what this book is about. Redemption. That Jesus took care of us on the cross of Calvary. Got the history and the theme. Let's get a little bit, well, I don't know what the word would be other than just say, let's just talk like we're in school now. <laughs> What's the divisions of the Bible? You got the history, you got the theme. What about the divisions? Well, the Bible is broken into two parts. You have the Old Testament, which is Genesis through Malachi. Then you go over from Matthew to Revelation is the New Testament. It's divided in two main, main sections. Testament means a covenant or an agreement. The difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the Old Testament is God dealing with people through the law. The New Testament is God dealing with people through grace. We'll talk more about that in just a second. The Old Testament, I want us to go through here. Think about it. If you want to look at, at, your, at, at, at the beginning, if you want to go over in front of your Bible and look at your concordance, or I mean the contents, I'm going to go through those real quick. You see the first five? The first five books are called the Pentateuch. That means a five-volume book. That's what Pentateuch means, a five-volume book. These five books as a unit are thought of as the law. So you see God was working with the people through the law in the Old Testament. They they kept looking back to, the, back to the law. These books are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Who did God inspire to write these five books of the law? Moses. The next books you have there are the books of history. Those history books are Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Those are the book of history. Then you come to the poetry books, or the wisdom literature, some might have called them. Those books are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Then we break it down and we come to the prophets. Now the prophets... There's 17 books in this section, but they're divided in two sections. You have the major prophets and you have the minor prophets. When I was growing up, I thought, well, major means they're important. And minor means they're just little bitty dudes. They're not really worth anything. You want to know what the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet is? The length of the book. That's what makes the difference. If you're a major prophet, you wrote more. If you're a minor prophet, you wrote less. That's the difference in calling them a major prophet or a minor prophet. When you look at these, again, I said there's 17. What, is that, what, what, what does that word prophet mean? Well, Jonathan, if you look at Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, we have the, the prophet. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. To, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. What's that mean? You shall speak all that I command you. That's what a prophet does, speaking what God commands. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. A prophet is one who tells what God has told them to tell. That's what a prophet does. So 
here we see that these prophets are divided into major and minor. The major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Then you get to all the minor prophets. They just wrote less, bottom line, it's what they are. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. We just went through the entire Old Testament. 39 books. They're divided again into the books of the law, the books of history, the books of poetry, and the books of prophets. Now we come to the New Testament. My Bible's got them listed down at the bottom of my contents page. The first section in the New Testament is the Gospels. Those are sometimes called the biographical books also. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The second section in the New Testament is the history section. And there's only one book here in this history section. It's the book of Acts. And this book deals with the origins and the growth of the early church. The book of Acts. You'll see the, early, you'll see the church explode. Read Acts. Then the third section is the Pauline epistles. Pauline. Did Pauline write them? No. Paul did. The Apostle Paul. That's just what we call them, the Pauline epistles, so that we can know that Paul wrote them. The Pauline epistles. Paul wrote. If you include Hebrews, Paul wrote half of the New Testament. The Pauline epistles are divided into three sections. Church epistles, pastoral epistles, personal epistles. What's that word epistle mean? Anybody know? Letter. The word epistle means letter. So you got the Paul letters, the Pauline letters, or the Pauline uh, letters of correspondence or written correspondence. Okay, let's talk about these. The church epistles are Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, and 2 Thessalonians. Those are the church epistles from Paul. The next section we have are the pastoral epistles. In those you have 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Then you have the personal letters, personal epistles. Those are Philemon and Hebrews. After the Pauline epistles, we have some general letters written by others. The general letters, the general epistles, each have the name of the author. In each one of these, if it's like a James, James wrote James. First Peter and Second Peter, Peter wrote those. First John, Second John, Third John, John wrote. Then you have Jude. Those are the general epistles. And then the New Testament has one book of prophecy, and it's the last book of the New Testament. It's the last book of the Bible, and that would be Revelation. It's written by John. So in the New Testament, there's four Gospels. There's one book of history. There's 14 Pauline epistles. There's seven general epistles. And then there's one book of prophecy. That's 27. So we have 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, 
That makes up 66 books in the Bible. Are you getting to know your Bible a little bit more? Listen to this. 1,189 chapters in the Bible. 31,102 verses in the Bible. 774,746 words in the Bible. You don't know how many letters? <laughs> All according to your translation, of course. But 3,567,180 letters in the Bible. Let's get serious just a second. Why do we need to know our Bible more? Why did you do this today, preacher? Telling us all about the Bible? Despite being penned by different authors, over 15 centuries it took for them to pen it. Friends, this book never contradicts itself. This book never contradicts. You can't read over here in Luke and then find something in 1 Chronicles that's going to contradict. It never happens. You can't, by, by looking at Jeremiah, you can't find anything in Galatians that would contradict. This book is holy. This book is inerrant. Holy means without any blame. I mean, just uh, reverent. This book is inerrant. That means there's no error. It's infallible. It's inspired. It's perfect. It's awesome. This book will never, ever lead you wrong. It is true. It is the book of truth. It is your operator's manual for your life. When you're feeling down, you run to this book. When you're on the clouds and flying in the clouds, you can run to this book. When you are having troubles with your marriage, you can run to this book. When you're having troubles with your uh, finances, you can run to this book. You can run to this book with anything that you have in your life. But again, that what are you telling us? This book was written... By all those different authors, and they all present different perspectives. You look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all are given different perspectives, but every single one of them proclaim the same true God. There is only one way of salvation. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Friends, I'm telling you about the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ, 
the name above all names, the name by which all shall bow and all every knee shall bow. What about Hebrews chapter four? For the word of God, look at this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Dear friend, you came into this place today. You're listening on the radio by way of Facebook. You know what you need. You need Jesus today. Friend, you need Jesus, the one that this Bible talks about, the one that this Bible preaches about all through this inerrant, inspired, perfect word. You need Jesus. You know you do. It is piercing you to the gut. That's what that word in Hebrew says. It's piercing you. it's, It's tearing you up. You need him. Won't you do something about it? Let's pray. Father God, I pray that during these next few moments, even right now, let somebody come to this altar. Let someone right now on Facebook, on the radio, give their heart life to you. Turn back to you, Father, that they would admit and believe and confess that you are Lord. Admit their sin. Believe that Jesus died and rose again and commit and confess you as Lord turning from their wicked ways. There may be Christians that need to repent as well, God. Whatever the need is, I pray today that we would turn to you, looking to your word, your inspired, inerrant, holy holy, infallible word. And God, whatever occurs, don't let it be me. Don't let it be them. Don't let it be us. But let Christ be exalted above all. And let us not hold back because of anything the devil throws at us. We ask you to be in this time of response. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Friends, you can come. Wait just a second, Jason. You come. This time, this invitation, I told you what a Bible is, but you know what an invitation is? An invitation is a time for you to come. You don't have to talk to me. You come to this altar. You come on that side, this side, down the aisles, from the balcony, wherever. You just come this time of response. It's a time for you to say, yes, God. And and it's a time for you to be praying. When you see somebody else go, you just pray, God, be with them. So when you know, when you move, people are going to start praying for you. They don't know what they're praying about because you've not told anybody. I'm going to be right here. You want me to pray with you? I will love to pray with you. You want to know more about salvation, how to be saved? I would love to talk with you. You just come up here and talk to me. I will pray and talk with you. But if you just want to pray, you just want to get alone with God, what you're doing when you come down, you are making a public confession. But you're not telling us what it is. You're just coming so that everybody else will join with you in prayer. When you come down here, I assure you, there's never been a soul on this altar when I've been here that I've not been praying for you. So I want you to know when you're on this altar, you've got a room full of people praying with you. We don't know what we're praying about, but we're praying in the name of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit that your prayers would be accomplished and answered. So let's all join together. Stand up. If God's calling you to this altar, you come on down. 
You've been listening to the services at North Etowah Baptist Church. If you made a decision for Christ today, head over to northetowah.org slash contact. Fill out the form and someone from our staff will be quick to contact you. Not to mention, we'd love to worship with you. All worship times and other activities can be found on our website. Thanks again for listening and may God bless you.